So for the past four weeks, we've been talking about forgetting and remembering. And if we're honest with ourselves, the fact that we are forgetful is not really a big secret. It's not a big secret to us, and it's certainly not a surprise to God. Which is why throughout Scripture, he's given us tools and tasks and examples, all designed to help us remember. The theme repeats itself over and over throughout the biblical narrative. God promises, he delivers on his promises, and his people forget. We forget. So for the past four weeks, we've been looking into the biblical examples to remind ourselves how to remember. And we learn that if we're going to remember, we need to gather and set up memorial stones to help remind us about what God has done in the past and what he has promised to do in the future. And we saw the importance of learning from the past and focusing just on the next step and listening to outside voices of truth. We learned the importance of intentionally creating collective memories because we so easily forget the facts and figures we try and memorize, but we remember experiences that are created in the context of relationships. And we saw the importance of following the right examples. We need to follow the examples of people who are following the example of Christ. And we need to be setting that example consistently for others in every area of our lives. So today we find ourselves at the end of our little summertime quest to learn how to remember. And we're left with one more question that needs to be answered if we are going to remember. But what about God? Does God forget? Because that would explain so much, wouldn't it? Why didn't God keep the promise he made to me? Oh, he must have forgot. Why did God let this or that happen? Oh, he must have forgotten. Why didn't God? When will God? Where was God? Oh, he must have forgot. If we're made in the image of God and we are forgetful, then he must be forgetful too, right? And at some level, that logic makes sense to us. We know we are forgetful, and we've been hurt so often by the forgetfulness of those around us that we think God is forgetful too. In our own lives and throughout Scripture, we see it in Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Nehemiah, Job, Psalms, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and on and on. God's people pleading, God, remember. So, does God forget? Well, simply put, no. Because while we were made in the image of God, the mirror was broken a long time ago. And the reflection we see now is quite literally, fatally flawed. Our forgetfulness, among other issues that we face, is the result of our sinfulness. It's a flaw in the reflection that is simply not found in the original. 
everything in a post-Genesis 3 world is actively working against us remembering God. And if we're going to remember, if we're really going to trust in God's promises, we need to remember that God remembers. We began our journey to remember five weeks ago, and we talked then about how this theme of remember recurs through the biblical narrative over 250 times. Over and over, as the theme recurs, it becomes clear. Even though we forget, God remembers. In Genesis 8.1, God remembered Noah. Genesis 9.15, I will remember my covenant. Genesis 9.16, whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember. Genesis 19.29, so when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. Genesis 21.1, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Genesis 30.22, God remembered Rachel. Exodus 2.24, God heard their groaning and he remembered. Leviticus 26.42, I will remember. Numbers 10.9, then you will be remembered by the Lord. We haven't even crossed the Jordan River yet, and we see over and over, every time the scriptures talk about God and remember, God remembered. And as we continue to flip through the pages of scripture, confronted over and over with this theme of remember, we find ourselves in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Turn with me or navigate there on your devices. In chapter 16 of 1 Chronicles, we find ourselves looking in on, the, on a celebration. It's a huge worship gathering celebrating the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant finally arriving in Jerusalem. It's been a tumultuous journey to get the Ark to Jerusalem. The journey started and stopped numerous times. It's been a journey of struggle, of death, of remembering and learning for David and his priests. And now they have finally arrived in Jerusalem, and David's response is to worship and to lead the entire community in worship. So he composes a song for corporate worship, which is what we find recorded in 1 Chronicles 16, verses 8 to 36, which is the first time corporate worship through song is recorded in the Bible. So let's read verses 12 to 15. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Israel, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations. And here in one little four-verse package, we see, even though we forget, even though we need reminders, God remembers. But if God remembers, why does it so often feel like he forgets? There's several reasons we feel like God forgets us. So let's just talk about a few of them. Sometimes I think we feel like God forgets us because we misunderstand the promises he's made us. Jeremiah 29, 11, 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Next to John 3.16, it's probably the most famous verse in the Bible. Entire industries have been created to print this one verse on coffee cups, bookmarks, and other knickknacks designed to encourage us. But I will suggest to you that there's no verse in the Bible that has done more to undermine people's faith and trust in God than this verse. Because we take the verse out of context and we misapply it, the promise to our lives. But it sounds so good, doesn't it? If I become a Christian, everything in life's going to go great. God is going to prosper me. Well, at the very least, he's not going to harm me. And what happens when everything doesn't go so great? What happens to the family whose home is foreclosed? What happens to the parent whose kid goes out on a Saturday night with friends and never comes back because the car hits a tree? What happens to the little girl or boy who gets molested? What happens to the would-be mother who goes through miscarriage after miscarriage? What happens? God must have forgotten me. Because he promised to prosper me. He promised not to harm me. Don't get me wrong. God is more than capable of using all of those things and far worse things, ultimately for his glory. But that is not what Jeremiah 29.11 is about. We live in a sinful world surrounded by evil, and sometimes really bad things happen. And being a Christian just doesn't give us some sort of special pass to get out of it all. So let me read for us Jeremiah 29, verses 10 to 14. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The Israelites received this promise on their way out of town into exile in Babylon. God basically sent the Israelites to time out for 70 years to think about what they had done. And he keeps coming back and checking in on them. Are you ready to say you're sorry yet? No? Okay, you can stay in your room for a little while longer. I'll be back. What happened to the plans to prosper them, you say? What about his plans to give them hope? First, we have to understand that his plan and promise was for a nation, not for a person. And his plan was based on them following the rules. I plan to take you out for ice cream tonight. 
but then you threw the carrots all over the floor. Guess what? Plans changed. Maybe tomorrow you won't throw your carrots. And their hope for the future lay in them learning the benefits that come from following his directions. But unfortunately, to learn about those benefits, they had to face the consequences of habitually not following. And sometimes God lets us bear the consequences of our sins too. Because like the Israelites, it's the only way we're going to learn. And sometimes we feel like God forgotten us because he's simply waiting for us to do our part. Because this covenant works both ways. It's a promise and a commandment. Matthew Henry writes, the covenant is said to be commanded because God has obliged us to obey the conditions of it. Because he has both authority to make the promise and ability to make it good. So sometimes it may feel like he has forgotten when he's really just waiting for us to make, take the next step. Joshua 3, 14 to 16, right as the Israelites are prepared to cross the Jordan, we read this. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. What would have happened if the priests hadn't put their feet in the water? The Israelites would still be sitting in the desert, wondering why God had forgotten about them. Because we have to remember that divine promise never rules out human responsibility. And sometimes it feels like God's forgotten us because the promise takes a long, long time to fulfill. Back in 1 Chronicles 16, picking up in verse 15, he remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan, as the portion you will inherit. When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. Almost 500 years pass from the time God calls Abraham to leave his home until his descendants finally inhabit the land. God told Abraham, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. How many Israelites were there when Abraham died? Exactly zero. Israel wasn't even born yet. But God hadn't forgotten Abraham. Sometimes it just takes time. And maybe like Abraham, we will never see the fulfillment of the promise he has given us. But that doesn't mean he has forgotten us, or that we can lose faith. And sometimes we think that God has forgotten us because we have an incomplete perspective. We get so self-focused that sometimes we simply don't see the bigger picture. 
When we are too self-focused, it's easy for us to develop a skewed view of the world. Several years ago, I worked in London for a while, and I got a new appreciation for our tendency to be self-focused. As we watch and read the news here, everything we see and hear is from a distinctly American perspective. Things are good or bad, depending on how they affect America, American businesses, or Americans in general. When I travel, I typically turn on the news in the morning while I'm getting ready. And as I was listening to the news in London, I noticed the economic and business news was different. It wasn't the events themselves that were different, it was the perspective that was being reported, because the stories were being reported from a uniquely British perspective. At the time, the US dollar was at an historic low against the British pound. It was costing me, well, mostly it was costing my company, a fortune for me to be in London. A large coffee at Starbucks, $7. All the expats from America thought the world was ending because we were going broke. Clearly, God must have forgotten us. But my British colleagues, they all wanted me to buy them clothes and electronics when I would come home to visit my family because they could get them from half price if I got them here in America. I guess God hadn't forgotten them. He must still be upset about the revolution too. Right? I'm not sure if God really cares about currency exchange rates or not. But what we have to realize is we often have a skewed perspective. We define good and bad based on how things subjectively feel to us. But God defines things differently. When it became clear to my wife Deb and I that our son Micah likely had some serious medical issues, I remember thinking, what didn't I learn the first time? What didn't I learn with Connor that God is trying to teach me now? I was so self-focused. I was sharing this struggle with somebody, and they wisely and quite honestly said to me, did you ever stop to think that maybe it has nothing to do with you? Did you ever stop to think that maybe you don't need to learn anything? Did you ever stop to think that what Micah needs is what you already know? Sometimes we need a bigger perspective. And sometimes we feel like God's forgotten us because things get uncomfortable. But you know, sometimes we need to be a little uncomfortable. Some mornings for me, it's easy to jump up out of bed and go for a run. But some mornings when my alarm goes off, I really don't want to get up because my bed is comfortable and my legs are tired. But here's the thing. I've never met somebody who's completed a marathon whose legs were not tired at mile 20. So I get up and I run because I have to learn to keep going even when I'm uncomfortable. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul writes, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Our comfort is not an indication of God's love for us or his remembrance of us. 
Sometimes we need to be uncomfortable. Scripture is clear over and over. God remembers. We may feel like he forgets when we misunderstand the promise. We may feel like he forgets when he is really just waiting for us to take the next step. We may feel like he forgets when it takes time for the promise to be fulfilled. We may feel like he forgets when we have too limited a perspective on the situation. And we may feel like he forgets when things get uncomfortable. But God always remembers. Fifteen years ago, my wife and I were living at the Philadelphia Ronald McDonald House, where our oldest son was in the neonatal intensive care unit at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. While we were there, we became really good friends with a family from Ohio whose one-year-old daughter was in the cardiac intensive care unit waiting for a heart and double lung transplant. We would eat dinner together almost every night and talk about our days and how our kids were doing, and we were fortunate. For the most part, Connor was making slow, steady progress towards going home. But their daughter was slowly slipping away, day after day, waiting on the transplant list. And we would pray for her, and we would pray with them that she would get the organs that she needed. And I remember the day when their transplant pager finally went off. There were tears of joy as they rushed back to the hospital to see their daughter before she was taken to the OR. And then it struck me. There was another set of parents who were going to be planning the funeral for their daughter that night. And we had prayed for that to happen. Was it a good night or a bad night? I know one family felt like it was good, and one family felt like God forgot them. I don't actually know what happened to that little girl, but I do know that a heart and lungs don't become available without a price. And while one family felt we remembered and one family felt forgotten, God remembered both of them. Because we live in a sinful world and sometimes really bad things happen. And we have to grapple with the fact that our circumstances, no matter how bleak, are not an indicator of God's memory of us or his love for us. Romans 8, 37 to 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do we help ourselves remember that God remembers? We need to remind ourselves about what is true about God. Sometimes our faith flows easily from our hearts, but other times 
when things aren't so good, it needs to come from our heads. To remember, we have to remind ourselves about the truth, the truth about God. Which is why David wrote this song for the Israelites to use in worship, to help them remember the truth about God and to help them remember the truth that God remembers. This is what our hymns and worship songs are designed to do for us as well. And in verse 11 of 1 Chronicles 16, we need to remember that he is strong. In verse 12, we need to remember what he has done. We need to pick up the stones and tell the stories. Verse 15, we need to remember that he remembers. Verse 25, we need to remember that he is great and worthy of praise. Verse 26, we need to remember that he is our creator. Verse 29, we need to remember that he is holy. Verse 30, we need to remember that the world is firmly established in him. Verse 31, we need to remember that he reigns. Verse 33, we need to remember that he will judge. Verse 34, we need to remember that he is good and his love endures forever. So what happens when we realize that God remembers? For many of us, the first time we recognize that God really does remember, our response is to pray that he will forget. Isaiah 64, 9, Isaiah pleads with God on behalf of the Israelites, do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. And that's a legitimate fear, that God will remember our sins forever, unless we have accepted Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. Romans 3.23 says, We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if we have placed our faith in Christ, then Romans 5.1 tells us that we have peace through God, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Psalm 103.12 promises us that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just like our friend's daughter 15 years ago, a price had to be paid to save a life. And Christ has paid that price for us. We just have to believe. If you don't have that confidence, if you don't have that peace, if you still find yourself praying that God really will forget, then either myself or Pastor Barry or one of our Stephen ministers or anyone from our worship team would love to talk more with you after the service about how you can have peace with God. Because when we realize that God remembers, he doesn't want us to be afraid. He wants us to worship. Our ultimate response to the fact that God remembers is to worship God. As David instructs us in 1 Chronicles 16, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those seek the Lord rejoice. Sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. When we remember what God has done and set our eyes on what He has promised to do, the only response we can possibly have is to worship. The last place in the Bible that it talks about remembering is in the book of Revelation, the very end of the story. And ultimately our hope comes not just from the fact that God remembers. Ultimately our hope comes from the fact that God remembers and he will fulfill every promise he has made. And he has promised that in time, he will fix everything. First Chronicles 16, verses 31 to 33. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant in everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. And then in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And with the hope of that future, with the knowledge that God does indeed remember, we too can remember And then, like David and the Israelites, there is nothing we can say. But praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you do remember that you loved us so much to send Christ to reconcile us to yourselves. I pray that no matter the journey we find ourselves walking, good or bad, easy or hard, that we would rest in the knowledge that your love never fails. In Jesus' name, amen. It's like a birthday party where you're coming.